I want to read to you from 2 Kings, chapter 20, verse 5. It's when God had given the word through Isaiah to Hezekiah that your time is up, you're going to die. And then the Lord came back to him through the same Isaiah and said, I've heard your prayers and added these words, I have seen your tears. And then I want to read to you from Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind of those watching in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to pass on everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear, simple. I ask that this will be a life-changing word and for someone an encouraging word in the nick of time. May this bring you great honor and glory. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. My subject is Try Tears. Now, why is this subject important and these verses relevant that I just read? Well, let me put it this way. Are you experiencing delay in answered prayer? Try tears. Are you sensing that God has been hiding his face? Try tears. Are you in deep debt and see no way out? Try tears. Are you praying for a lost loved one and you think, Will they ever come to the Lord and nothing is happening? Try tears. Or could I be speaking to someone you're worried that conditions at the present time will get worse? Try tears. Are you praying that the Holy Spirit will not will bring revival because you're so afraid revival is not going to come? You're praying, Lord, please send revival, won't you? And nothing is happening? Try tears. Now, what causes tears? Pain. Do you know, tears generally flow more from emotional pain than from physical pain. There, however, are some positive benefits from tears. Uh, this may surprise you. There are actually health benefits, even at the natural level. Did you know that tears will detoxify the body. Uh, tears will dull pain. Sometimes tears improves the mood and, or will help you to recover from grief. However, that's not what uh, my talk today is about. I want to deal with the question, what does the Bible say about tears? Well, now there's a... Uh, in. Bible study, some take it seriously, some don't. It's called the law of first mention. The idea is that when a verse first appears in the Bible, that the original time it comes up will set the stage for meaning in Scripture. Uh, some take no notice of that. Uh, 
But let me just put it this way. If there's something to that idea, law of first mention, the first time the word tears appears in the Bible is in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5. And here's what we learn from that verse. Tears get God's attention. And as I said at the beginning, uh, Hezekiah, king, was told by the prophet Isaiah, your time is up, you're going to die. And uh, Hezekiah prayed. And then Isaiah had to come back and say, I've got good news. God says he's going to extend your life 15 years. And here's the way it was put. I heard your prayer. I saw your tears. Well, this is why I'm putting this to you today. Try tears. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 19, we find that King Hose, uh, Josiah wept before the Lord. And you know what the prophet said to him? You wept before me. I heard you. Uh, the word here uh, comes from the Hebrew word shamar, to hear. Uh, the word shamar can also uh, be translated uh, to obey. Uh, so when a translator comes up with the word shamar in the Hebrew, he has to decide, does it mean obey or does it mean to hear? Uh, perhaps you know what it is to say to uh, your child, did you hear me? Well, if God hears and the word shamar is used, it means he will hear and obey your request. Well, God said to Josiah, you wept before me, I heard you. And it's one way, if I understand this passage, that tears move God's heart. And God said, I will obey your request. So am I speaking to anyone today? And you want to be heard in heaven. And you want God to hear you? Try tears. There's a verse in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, where we're told that God answers prayer according to his own will. If you ask anything according to God's will, he hears you. Now, this is very important. Uh, if you want to be heard by God, you've got to pray in his will. Uh, uh, there are those who would say, look, we, we, we ought to change God's will. Uh, my caution, don't ever think like that. Let me tell you something. There's a verse in the psalm. He granted their request, but sent leanness to their soul. In other words, there were those who wouldn't give up and said, God, I have to have it. And God says, I don't want you to have it. Oh, I must have it. And God finally said, okay, you got it. He granted their request and sent leanness to their soul. One person, a, a wasting disease. I would urge you, don't try to change God's will. Find out what his will is. In the meantime, just know this, that at the right hand of God, Jesus is interceding. And one of the things he does, and this blesses me when I think about it, he filters our request what that means is, 
he passes on to the Father what is the Father's will. God knows what is best for us. And so John said, 1 John 5, 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears you. So when you pray in his will, God will obey your request. At the same time, God knows where we are, and uh, I'm putting to you as a way forward. Maybe God is letting you to go through what you're going through that you might reach the place. You find out whether you want anything as bad as you thought. Psalm 84 verse 11 says that no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And you think, well, okay, good. He's going to give it to me. But then sometimes he delays answering our prayer, if only to see how much we really want, what we think we want. If it brings tears, just remember, God said, I heard your request. I saw your tears. There's one of the most moving stories. There's a little town in Galilee. It's still there today. Nain, N-A-I-N. I remember when uh, on my first tour in Israel, I asked the driver, I said, could we go into the little town of Nain? Because I saw we were going down the road and I saw the sign to Nain. Well, he wasn't very happy because it wasn't on the schedule. I said, uh, do you mind? Let's just go up there and pause and let me read the scripture. And, and he did. And it's the account where Jesus was in Nain and he stopped what he was doing. People must have wondered, why are you stopping? And he left. And he went his way. He saw a widow weeping in a funeral procession because she had lost her only son and she was crying. And who would have thought that Jesus would notice that? And you know what he did? He left where he was, went over to the funeral procession and said to that widow these words, Luke chapter 7, verse 13, don't cry. And maybe God is saying to you, don't cry. And at that moment, Jesus just raised that child from the dead. It's just another example. Tears move God's heart. And so I'm no doubt speaking to someone. I may never hear about you. I may never meet you. But this is a word for you. You say, would God give me a word? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. St. Augustine said, God loves every person as if there was no one else to love. And so it wouldn't surprise me, however many could be watching right now, it's particularly for you. So are you crying right now? Jesus sees you. He sees you. Have you just lost a loved one? And you're crying. Jesus sees you. Have you lost a friend? Jesus sees your tears. Have you lost a job? Jesus sees you. In any case, tears show how deeply you care. 
Uh, a long time ago, many, many years ago, uh, my mother died, and I was only 17. She was 43 years old. But I'll never forget something that happened to my father. I mean, after all, he lost his wife. And we were in the funeral home. And uh, my dad was uh, sitting in a chair as people would come by, file by, and shake his hand. And God bless you, Mr. Kendall. We're praying for you, our sympathy. And he would just say, thank you. One after another, thank you. Thank you. And then all of a sudden, I saw my dad stand up. He stood up. I thought, what's going on here? A man had just come into the funeral parlor, and Dad said, here's a man who knows what I'm going through because that man lost his wife two weeks before. My dad got up and reached for that man. They hugged each other in the middle of the room, and everybody watched because Dad knew here was one who knows what I'm going through. Now, here's what we learn from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. That at the right hand of God, there's Jesus, the same Jesus that died on the cross and was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven. He's there. He's at the right hand of God. And Hebrews 4, 15 says, we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus as being our great high priest, who cannot be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. The King James Version talks about the feeling. You know, there comes a time when you want another person just to feel what you feel. Uh, you don't always find anybody like that. I'm not sure I do that many times with others. Uh, they want you to understand, and you say, I, I'm sorry, I'm praying for you, and you're doing your best. Uh, but to find one other person who can feel your weakness. And you may not find anybody like that. If you do have such a friend, good. And, and we all need friends. But there are times when we're put through a situation and it's almost impossible to find one other person who will feel what you feel. And uh, let me ask you a question. I don't mean to be unfair, but do you care deeply as much as you think somebody may need you? You see, there is what I would call perfunctory praying. And we've all done that. And if honest, I hate to admit it, but I suppose most of my praying is perfunctory. I go through a prayer list every day, and and I can't say that as I go through that prayer list, I, I weep, uh, I've got my own prayer list, I, I pray for others, and probably, if I'm honest, my praying is largely perfunctory. I, I want to keep up my prayer list, and, and I pray for everybody. But then there comes a time when another person is begging you, please pray for me. Well, I can only say this, tears show the kind of desperation that gets God's attention. Well, just never forget it. When the prophet Hezekiah was told he was going to die, he started to cry, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. Here's something that I want to share today. When we weep, so does Jesus. 
Now, in the 11th chapter of John, you have the story of when Jesus' friend, uh, Lazarus, was ill. Uh, and as soon as Lazarus was ill, his two sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus that his friend, their brother, Lazarus, was ill. Now, why did they send that word to Jesus, who we don't know how far away he was, maybe a 100 miles away? Uh, they were so sure that if Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he would leave what he was doing and come straight to Lazarus. <laughs> That's what they knew. So all they needed to do is get the word to Jesus. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. Lazarus is sick. And by the way, Jesus had his close friends. Uh, and funnily enough, they may not have been among the 12 disciples. Lazarus was just a friend in Bethany. And um, Jesus would go visit Lazarus, Mary Martha, just uh, maybe to rest and relax or where he wasn't always on duty. Uh, all ministers need a friend who can uh, just be a friend and where the minister's not always on duty, if I may put it that way. Well, I can't be sure that uh, Jesus was off duty when uh, he went to see Lazarus. I'm not implying that, but what I do know is that they were friends. Now Lazarus becomes ill, very ill. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. Well, guess what? Jesus got word and stayed where he was. And the, the disciples say, do you not understand? Lazarus is sick. Well, why are you not going to heal Lazarus? You know what Jesus said? He said, first of all, Lazarus is, is dead. He, he's gone. And he added something else. One of the most amazing verses in the Bible. Many pass it by and don't see it. I did for years. And then one day, as I read it, I saw something I never had seen before. It's John chapter 11, verse 13. Here's what Jesus said. He said to the disciples, 12 disciples, for your sakes, I didn't go and heal Lazarus in order that you might believe. That's it. In other words, Jesus did not heal Lazarus because Mary and Martha knew if Jesus just got to Lazarus, he would keep him from dying. He knew that. Well, Jesus showed up four days after the funeral, and uh, nobody could understand it. But Jesus said to the twelve, it's for your sakes, in order that you might believe. It's another way of saying that you might have faith. What's the point? Well, you cannot really have faith if everything you want, you just get. Let's say that every prayer you pray is immediately answered. You'd reach the prayer. You wouldn't need faith anymore. You just get it, you know, believe it, receive it, <laughs> name it and claim it. You just, you've got it. In order to teach us faith, God allows things to happen that we don't understand. That proves whether you've got faith. Uh, you know, the oldest and most difficult philosophical issue in the world is why does God allow evil? Why are we going through COVID, the worst 
may be over. It may not be. Who knows how long it will last? But hundreds and hundreds and thousands are dying. Some are still getting it. And you think, couldn't God have stopped this? You need to know he certainly could have. He certainly could have stopped it. Well, then why didn't he stop it? Well, I am not today going to tell you I know why God allows evil. But I can tell you at least one reason, one reason, and that is that you might believe in him and trust him to know that he has a purpose in what he does, what he permits. And you wouldn't need faith if just like that things went away. And so these disciples had seen Jesus already perform all kinds of miracles. And I think they reached the place that they think, well, if Jesus prays for somebody, you're going to get well. And then all of a sudden, here is his friend who's dying, and Jesus just stays where he is and, and doesn't leave. And he said to his disciples, it's for you. It's for you that you might believe. And has it crossed your mind that what you are going through right now is a test to see how strong your faith is? whether you will not get what you want, but believe God anyway. You just trust him anyway. You see, let me put this question to you. Which gives you more satisfaction? When God is pleasing you or when you are pleasing him? Well, God pleases you by quick answer to prayer. God pleases you when you get what you want. But what if he withholds that? You've got a, a chance to show whether you have faith, whether you believe in him. And I would urge you to learn to get your satisfaction from knowing you please him by faith. Because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, here's what happened. Jesus showed up in Bethany four days after the funeral. Well, as he gets near Bethany, Martha, one of the sisters of Lazarus, comes to Jesus and blames Jesus for letting their brother die. You know, she says, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Well, and then Mary, a few minutes later, sobbing her heart out, said, Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. It's an implicit way of saying, why didn't you come sooner? You know, it's often the case that we tend to blame God for everything and say, you should have been here. You should have done this. Well, that's what Mary Martha said. If you had been here. Now, the question is, how do you suppose Jesus reacted to Mary and Martha? Did he rebuke them? Did he scold them? Did he look at them and say, shame on you. You shouldn't be talking to me like that. Do you know what happened when each of them said, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died? Instead of rebuking them, moralizing them, or saying anything to them that could make them feel guilty, you have the shortest verse in the Bible. John eleven thirty five, two words. Jesus wept. 
You know, people have speculated over the ages. Why did Jesus wept? Uh, weep? Uh, why did it say he wept? Well, I'll tell you my opinion. It's my honest opinion. He wept because they were weeping, and he felt what they felt. You see, Jesus knew what he was going to do five minutes later. He knew what he was going to do. He could have looked at him and said, shh, be quiet. I'm going to raise him from the dead if you just get quiet. No, nothing like that. You see, Jesus weeps when we weep. That's how much he cares. He doesn't moralize us. See, Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he knew they didn't know what he was going to do. And he wept as they wept. It's so good to know that even though God knows how it's going to turn out, he realizes we don't know. And so he weeps with us. It's the amazing thing about Jesus. He could cry. We're told in Luke 19.41, he wept over the city of Jerusalem. His weeping over Jerusalem shows how God felt about Israel's folly. Well, there's a verse, John 5, 19. It's a verse that I would urge you to get, let it get a hold of you, let it grip you. Where Jesus said, the Son, he's referring to himself, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus was not his own man. That may surprise you. He says so. The Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. And so when we know that Jesus wept, he mirrored God's feelings. We know how God felt about Israel when he wept over the city. We know how God felt about Martha and Mary. And so Jesus knew exactly what all this meant. And he knew that Jesus had forfeited the very inheritance. He knew that Israel had forfeited the very inheritance that belonged to them. I think of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Where Jeremiah said, God said through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you to do you good and not harm. It lets you know God's plans for us can be forfeited. Well, I want you to know God has a plan for you. And I'll quote St. Augustine again. God loves every person as if there were no one else to love. And I want you to know, God cares about you as if there were no one else. Well, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11 find these interesting words, this may surprise you, where God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why would he say that? Well, there's one reason. Death is not the end. Let me say to you, this to you as lovingly as I know how, but I do you no favor to withhold this from you. You see, this life is not all there is. This life, we're in an existence that will come to an end. And you need to know Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. If you have a Bible, I would urge you, don't forget these words. You could even turn to your Bible right now. Hebrews 
chapter 9, verse 27, said, It is appointed unto man, humankind, it is appointed once to die. On that, I think everybody will be in perfect agreement. You see, we don't like to think about it. I don't like to think about it. I'm 85 years old. I'm, I'm closer to death, I suppose, than nearly anybody watching me, for all I know. We're all going to die. But that isn't the end. Because Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed that a man wants to die after death, the judgment. Do you realize we're going to stand before God one day? We're going to stand before Him. I will. You will. And when I stand before God, I will stand alone. I won't have my wife. I won't have my children. You won't have your best friend. Because you're going to stand before Him. And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body. Why does it say in the body? That means while you were alive. Could I ask you this question? Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you know that? You say, R.T., why is that important? Oh, it's the most important question any human being can put to you. I don't know if anybody's put that question to you. And I'd do you no favor to withhold it. Because you need to know that after death, you're going to find that it's still going on. Consciousness. Don't accept the atheistic idea that when you die, you'll die like a fly or an animal or a blade of grass. Oh, no. We were created with immortality. Your soul will live on. And when you die, you're going to have a greater consciousness, consciousness than you've ever had. And you're going to stand before God. Then I have to tell you something. It gives me no great pleasure to tell you this. But at the end of every life, it's either heaven or hell. At the end of every life, it's either heaven or hell. There's an old story. It comes out of Scotland. Someone went up to Robert Murray McShane. It was a preacher. And a preacher said to the Scottish minister, Robert Murray McShane, well, I preached on hell Sunday. And McShane's comment, did you weep as you preached it? See, this is awful. You say, why would there be a hell? I don't know. I do not know. And I'll be candid with you. If God left it up to me, there'd be no hell. If God left it up to me, everybody would be saved. But I bow to Holy Scripture. You see, this is, this is not my word. It's the Word of God. And the Bible in a nutshell, if you went through the whole Bible, 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And if you had to come up with one word that's the Bible in a nutshell, it's John 3, 16. Jesus, 
said it like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, that means not go to hell, but have everlasting life. I want you to know, you don't have to go to hell. You do not have to go to hell. And this word is to get your attention. It's a wake-up call so that death will not take you by surprise. That is to say that facing God at the judgment will not be a surprise. The Bible makes it clear. It's appointed that a man wants to die after death and judgment. And if God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? And you had to give the answer, and there's only one answer, by the way. Give the wrong answer. You have to go someplace else. I don't want you to go there. And I am using every power of persuasion in me to urge you, turn to God. Realize this life is not all there is. Let us suppose COVID ends overnight. And let us suppose you survive COVID and even though you get, get it, you live. And you think, oh good, I'm gonna live. But listen, you're gonna die one day. And you will face God. And if he did ask you this question, he might. What would your answer be? He says, why should I let you in? Let me tell you something. There's only one answer. And as I close, I give you the answer. The answer is that God sent his son into the world to die on a cross for your sins. And on that good Friday, that Friday when Jesus died, all of our sins were transferred to Jesus as if he were the guilty one. That's right. Doesn't seem right, does it? Doesn't seem fair because he never sinned. But this is how much God loves us. He sent Jesus, his son, and transferred from us our sins to Jesus as if he were guilty. And strange as it may seem to you, this is what the Bible says. God punished Jesus for what I did. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, it's called mercy. That's how much he loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you can believe on him right now. I would urge you at this moment, don't say, well, I think I'll get to heaven. I've tried to be a good person. That won't save you. Doing your best will not save you. Joining a church will not save you. You say, what will? When you ask God to forgive you of your sins, and you thank him for sending Jesus to die on the cross, I would urge you right now, wherever you are, by yourself or with another person, pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. I hope you just did that. I hope you prayed that prayer. 
If you did and meant it in your heart, do you know what just happened to you? I can tell you, you've just been born again. <laughs> yes, born again. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled you to pray that prayer. I can say to you, happy birthday, for you've begun a new life. God bless you. I close with this. Heavenly Father, apply this word by your Holy Spirit to that person watching right now. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.